All right, welcome back to the Shark Bite Podcast. I'm your host, Jaws, and with me is my co-host, Denver. Howdy, howdy. All right, so, um, uh, back on our first episode, we talked about our favorite movies. Right. And that was cool. I really loved getting into that, um, that part of the, uh, the first episode, but... You called me out on something as soon as the episode was <laughs> over. You walked up to my bookshelf and you were like, hey, why didn't you mention uh, Nightmare Before Christmas? It's yeah. one of my favorite films. And I was like, that's a good point. It's definitely up there. I don't know if it's one of my favorites, uh, like one of my top threes, but it's because like, I already listed my top threes, but um, it's a musical. Right. So in my mind, I almost thought, you know what, maybe musicals are like their own category. So I I was like, hey, let's let's come back together and let's talk about our favorite musicals. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, right off the bat, uh, I think I could say that like my favorite musicals are Nightmare Before Christmas, yeah, Rocky Horror Picture Show, yeah, and um, oh, Cabaret. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's Liza Minnelli, right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, Michael York and stuff like that. So those right. are my those are my top three, and uh, we'll get into them. Right, because uh, and I know there's going to be some uh, some overlap. Yeah, yeah. Well, Rocky Horror is always going to be number one for me, mm-hmm. and uh, you know I, I have that on my playlist all the time. Yeah. And then uh, number two um, has got to be Phantom of the Opera, mm-hmm. which is I, I am going off the movie, but my my parents took me to the play when I was younger. Yeah. So uh, you know they used to take me to to plays and musicals all the time when I was younger, and I hated it. But then when I grew up, I'm like, oh, thanks for making me so cultured. Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of a you know double edged thing, but um, yeah, no, uh, Phantom has always been really really awesome. It was one of the only only plays and musicals that I could stand mm-hmm. really like as a kid. I mean, even just the you know it's kind yeah. of it's rock opera kind of kind of it's uh, like Phantom of the Opera um, really balances i think like yeah. it's it's like it's it is operatic and it has a lot of like classical style music in it um but the uh what do you call it is it the overture like the main theme yeah the uh, the fan of that like i fell in love with that as a kid i hope we don't get copyright hits for me just humming humming that um but like i i fell in love with that that track yeah before i saw it yeah. And then eventually, at a very young age, my dad like took me to go see Phantom of the Opera uh, in Toronto, and it was so amazing. Yeah. I, I like I loved it. We were seated in the um, in the orchestra. Yeah. So we had that... Uh, what the chandelier. The chandelier came yeah. right over our yeah, heads, yeah. and it was so cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was the first, you know, musical that had electric guitars in it mm-hmm. that I saw, you know. And... Um, yeah, Andrew Lloyd Webber got a. Uh, well, I, I think I heard back in the day that he got a lot of flack for that too, mm-hmm. though, because it's literally notes in sequence. Dun 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 dun. Yeah, well, they're all dun, they're dun, all dun, semitones. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Next to each other, but it's the end effect. Like, yeah. Who, I, don't, I don't know. Who, who cares? Uh, I mean, we're we're gonna we're gonna go more deep into Rocky Horror, but all of Rocky Horror's music is rock and roll. Yeah. Um, a lot of their progressions are uh, one, four, five. If yeah. you know anything about music, it's just like it's the first to the fourth, fourth to the fifth, and back again, or twelve, twelve step blues, over and over again. Yeah, or yeah, a lot of their chords, like science fiction, it's mm-hmm. it's you know like A G F uh, E or whatever. You know, it's it's all straight in order. It's all really repetitive, but it's yeah. But the end effect is the important part, and it's so catchy and memorable. Yeah, you know, um, if you go out and you can do. Um, uh, time warp at karaoke, like yeah. I've done that, and it gets the whole room going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, 
and I've seen people do like um, back to Phantom of the Opera. Right. They'll do Music of the Night. Right. But it's not a. It doesn't like. It's not a showstopper. No. That karaoke, you know. No. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. So what? What about? On uh, Phantom of the Opera, yeah, I didn't like the um, the Joel Schumacher movie as much. Yeah, I uh, I don't know. I, I guess just because it was it was more modern, mm-hmm. I liked it. It was just kind of a, a modern take, and I, I was I'm a big uh, Gerard Butler fan. You you were already a fan of his at that point. Was yeah. he? Did he already? He didn't do Three Hundred yet, had he? No, 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 no. It was two thousand four. The movie came out. Yeah. Um, I didn't really know about him until after 300. That was my introduction to Gerard Butler. I don't remember what I saw, but I, I, I knew I recognized him. And I was like, oh, like mm-hmm. I actually know this guy. And I know Emmy Rosam and, and uh, Patrick Wilson was brand new. Uh, mm-hmm. He was one of the only guys I didn't know. And, you know, now I'm a big Patrick Wilson fan because of The Conjuring and Insidious. Obviously. Yeah. And he's, he's great in, uh, like, The Watchmen and yeah. everything. Yeah, he's so yeah, good. Yeah. I love Patrick Wilson. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I have many drivers in, in the movie. Yeah. She's really talented. Like, it's not, the movie's not a complete bust, but my problem is that I think it's Gerard Butler right. and their portrayal of the Phantom. Right. Um, I also didn't like the makeup. You know, when they mm. exposed the face, I was like, oh no, he has a sunburn. <laughs> yeah, it's not too bad. His lips a little pulled and, mm. yeah. What, what's your favorite part of the movie, though? What's like, what brings it um, over f- other, like, versions of it? Yeah, uh, well... I really understood kind of it, it. I don't know if it was any more succinct than the the play. I'm sure the play is a lot longer, but mm. uh, it was just uh, you know they got a lot of good people that could actually sing in it, and it's uh, it was something I could watch over and over again as opposed to just having to go to see the play you know once a year or whatever whenever it was available. Yeah, I think that's the problem with a lot of these musicals. Yeah, is like one of the reasons why I wanted us to sort of stick with the movie renditions. Right, is because. Those can be universally uh, accessed now. Like it's it's accessible. You can go on iTunes and buy these movies. Yeah. So any anyone can go and watch them. But to go and enjoy like uh, a play, like um, I like I've seen that that one version of Phantom of the Opera, and I think it was uh, I can't remember who did, who did, who's um, doing the main the main guy, but it was right. like who was doing the Phantom. But I know it wasn't one of the like original Broadway performers and stuff no, like that. Yeah. So other people's experiences will be different depending on who's directing and who's in the cast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And uh, this is, you know, when we were kids, kids, this is obviously pre-internet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there was no looking it up on YouTube or anything like that. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it was just the only, the only uh, way I could see it when it came out was the was the movie. But, I mean, it did come, that did come out after the internet, but... Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it was just a really good play and um, really cool and and really you know just rocked really really hard mm-hmm. way more than a lot of the other stuff you know you go see guys and dolls which I like but it mm-hmm. just never hit me as hard. No, uh, I don't know. We can we can talk about all those old school musicals yeah. too. Like I I almost have a problem with them now. Like yeah. I can't. They're just all so dated, <laughs> and and the like. It's hard. To sort of be like a modern man, right? And watch these old movies like um, Dale, who's been on the podcast. One of her favorite uh, musicals is Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Yes, yes. And it is super funny yeah. and a lot of fun. But you do have to get over the fact that the guy is more or less 
kidnap the women. <laughs> <laughs> like, the one guy gets married, and, and I think, or something, like this story is like, the one guy gets married, and, and he's like, oh, wait, my wife's got, like, a bunch of sisters or something. Why yeah. don't we just grab them? They <laughs> <laughs> just, like, bring the women to the cabin. They all get snowed in or something over the winter. Yeah. And, like, Stockholm Cinder kicks in. They all end up loving each other. Yeah. And, like... You know, that's an old, it's, it's, and if you know about the old story that it's based on, yeah. like the old uh, Roman story about, it's, it's even worse. Mm-hmm. So don't, <laughs> <laughs> don't look that up. Don't, don't Google that. Don't, <laughs> don't Google that. Uh, yeah. So that's all, you know, you, it's just, but you just have to watch it with that in mind. Like, yeah. okay, this was made like 60 years ago, right. different time, different place, different mentality. Yeah. Um. Yeah, another one that I can think of that was really old is uh, like an American in Paris with Gene oh, Kelly. Yeah. How's that? I, I like Gene Kelly stuff, not mm. because um, because of the music so much, but just because he's a great dancer. Oh, he's so good. And, yeah, yeah, so just watching him kind of emote physically and emotionally and and dancing and stuff. And I forget what the I don't know if it was the same movie, but he did uh, a live action one with some cartoons too, where he was dancing with like Looney Tunes or whatever. Really? Okay. Oh, penguins or something. I forget what it was. I might be mixing up Mary Poppins with the penguins, but um, yeah, mm-hmm. no, it's just as a kid, I was like, okay, well, if my parents are going to make me watch one of these movies, I might as well watch a Gene Kelly movie because it'll be entertaining. Totally. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, what's, uh, what's your next uh, favorite? Um, yeah, my third favorite is got to be Man of La Mancha. Okay, so I don't know anything about this, so you're yeah. going to have to fill me in a little bit. Yeah, um, I, I haven't seen a play of it. I know it comes from the book uh, Don Quixote. Um, oh, so this is based off the Don Quixote yeah, story and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the movie I saw as a kid was with Peter O'Toole and uh, Sophia Loren and James Coco. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it uh, says here, uh, based on the, pale, uh, the play by Dale Wasserman. So I assume that's, it was the book, made a play, made the movie. Okay, interesting. But, uh, yeah, it, again, it was just one that my parents would always kind of get me to watch every once in a while. And it mm-hmm. was it was really interesting. And, uh, you know, I, the storyline didn't really resonate with me, and I didn't really understand. You know, the guy's just mad. Yeah, it's, and, it's a, sort of like a story about senility, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. so I didn't get all the subtext and all the interesting plot twists and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I, again, I was just attracted to the music. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of funny. You, um, I guess I gotta uh, say, like, my dad was a big influence on, like, he's the the reason I think I'm into musicals. Right. He loved musicals. He'd always be singing them. He'd put on, like, the Phantom of the Opera tape. Yeah. Um, Les Mis tape. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, some of the other other stuff like that. Um, and one one song that he'd always sing at me is uh, you know, the 76 trombones yeah. song. Yeah, Music Man, yeah. I noticed that's on your list. Yeah. yeah. That one I'm I'm a little bit more familiar with. Right. Because of that, that song, the Music Man, and it's sort of like... And that... The whole concept has been sort of remade numerous times. Yeah, actually, I was going to mention uh, uh, Hugh Jackman is supposed to play Harold Hill in a Broadway... Uh, M- Music Man? Music Man is coming okay. out, I don't know, in the next couple of years, I assume. Yeah, like, for those who don't know, Music Man, like, correct me if I'm wrong, it's about, like, a con man yeah. who comes to town and sort of sells them on this parade that they have to put on yeah he's a salesman and uh so all the other even in the first scene they kind of describe him as all the other salesmen the anvil salesman irons uh you know whatever they're they always talk about him as the the super con man salesman that uh whenever they show up in a town if if, uh, henry hill's already been there 
they they're ready to tar and feather them. They're ready to kick them out because he's he's conned them and then he's left town. Okay. So he's a real you know uh, pain in the ass that way. But um, yeah, with this he's he's uh, they tell him they say oh yeah the people of Iowa they're the hardest to sell they're you know they're the most stubborn they'll never buy anything we want and so he takes that as a challenge. Oh okay and cool. He goes there just because it's going to be difficult. Yeah. And so he tries to uh, yeah sell them on a band and. Uh, he, yeah, they, they're having a, they had a brand new pool hall, and they had a pool table, and so he's trying to find something new to make a problem. Yeah. He's like, oh yeah, your kids, you know, they're they're going to be frittering away their time and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm using old, old words with these, but um, he creates a problem so that he can solve it by saying, oh, we need to get all your boys in this boys band. It's like, I'll get you the trumpets and the outfits and everything, but the whole thing is that he doesn't know how to play any music. Interesting, yeah. yeah. So he's just making everything up as he yeah. goes. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's a pretty classical story of, like, yeah. a salesman or con man going someplace and trying to sell themselves as something they're not. Yeah. Uh, but then eventually, by the end, like, everything turns around and ends up working out right for everybody. Very of. strangely, yeah. Yeah. Because he, he finds uh, the librarian, Ma- uh, Marion, and she's a piano teacher. She's the only one who actually knows anything about music. Mm-hmm. So he's he's he knows he has to pull the wool over her eyes if yeah. he wants to fool this, the town. And, uh, but at the end... Oh, I mean, obviously, he falls in love with her. It's got to, you know, got to have some resolution. <laughs> Pretty classic story. But hey, uh, now that I've conjured, now, now, now that I'm a proven liar, yeah. let's let's consummate this. Yeah. But the uh, what I mean by the strange ending with the with the kids is he, she just goes, okay, kids, we actually have to come up with something. He says, if you if you have music in your heart and you really believe in yourself. You could play something, and then it comes, and they all come together at the end and play something. Yeah. Just because he hums it, he's like, "Yeah, if you can hum a tune in your head, you can play it on your instrument." Yeah. I was like, "What the hell is he talking?" So about? they kind of make these little like leaps. Yeah, yeah. yeah I get it. So then the whole thing comes together at the end, and they're flawless, and he wins yeah. the day. Oh, not not exactly School of Rock. Or no, anything. no, no. Although, no. isn't school, school of Rock is almost um, is almost a version of this if you think about it. I guess, yeah, except that he, he doesn't know any classic music, classical music. No, well, yeah. I, I'm just saying in a sense, not in the, not in a full sense. This is not, I, right. I'm making, I made a, I'm making a, a slight connection. Okay. This idea of this guy going in and like, it's all about music. Right, right. You know, but Jack Black's character does know about music, but he's just pitching it differently. He's, yeah. He's not, he's not selling the music. Yeah. He's selling the idea that he's a music teacher. Right. Which he's not. He's just a guy who likes yeah. Rock and roll. It's kind of. Anyways, I. Should, anyways, forget about my. <laughs> forget about my. I was just my. My brain just went there. Uh, yeah. One quote I love from that movie is, uh, he's like, "Bass. I don't play bass." It's like you play cello. It's like turn it sideways, cello. You got a bass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they made. Uh, they made School of Rock a musical. Did they? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think I remember seeing something for that. I saw some uh, advertisements on the on the subway. Right. Yeah. So. Um, Another uh, big film, uh, I think that both of us were going to talk about today. Um, uh, do you... Repo. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We, um, I realized I didn't put it in my top fives, um, and some of my old friends probably be annoyed at me for not, <laughs> not doing that. And that it's like, don't worry, Repo is still up there for me. It is super cool. Yeah, it's just that um, it hasn't gestated as long with me as some of the other musicals that I love. Um, but Repo was a really strange phenomenon. Like, for me, uh, for those that don't know, there's this weird musical out there called Repo the Genetic Opera. Right. And it all started with sort of, like, weird 
advertisements I saw on the internet or something. You yeah. know, when you just see a flicker of something, you're like, that's weird. I need to read into this. And yeah. then I found a message board. And through that message board, I started connecting with other people who were interested in this film. Yeah. And then we started meeting at a pub downtown. Mm. And it all just took off from there. We became this weird, rabid fan base for a film that wasn't even out yet. Yeah. We just knew we wanted to be a part of it, and we loved it. Yeah. Almost like a like a preemptive... Like, honestly, it's... When I read about the cult following that followed Rocky around... Right. It, like, the Rebo thing felt very similar. Yeah, that's what we all thought, is it was going to be the next... Uh, it was going to be our generation's Rocky Horror. Yeah. Now, which I, I wouldn't give it that much credit, but I do really like it. And I, I did think it was mm-hmm. uh, definitely like a ghost sequel, I guess you could say, just in spirit. Yeah, like it's it's um it's worth checking out if you've never seen it and you like Rocky Horror Picture yeah. Show. Yeah, for sure. Or uh, a movie that I ha- well, hasn't been referenced today at all, Phantom of the Paradise. If you like that as well, mm. this is something to go check out. Yeah, Denver, if you've not seen Phantom yeah. of the Paradise, you got to see it. All right. Phantom of the Paradise was just a film where they um, they saw the success of Rocky Horror, and they're like, well, we can do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get Brian De Palma and just do that. And, yeah, yeah. And it was like, it ended up being weirder and less musical, hmm. but still like an acid trip, so it's worth right, watching. Right. Okay. Uh, but Repo Genetic Opera, so what is this movie about? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, uh, originally it was pitched as there's a big, uh, epidemic of organ failure. Yeah. And, uh, there's a company called Geneco that comes out to, uh, give you financed organs. Yeah, that's well put, financed organs. So you get, uh, you get a replacement, but you gotta keep your payments up, and if you don't, Mm. then they legalize this, uh... They pass this bill that they can repossess your organs. Yeah. And so the repo man will come and literally kill you to take out your heart that has a barcode on it and Mm -hmm. take it back to the company. I mean, like, honestly, it's sort of funny that, like, repo came out a while ago, but it's sort of, there's that sentiment in the repo movie, I think, that a lot of people share now, which is the idea that, like, corporations run the world now. Yeah. Not, not governments as much. <laughs> and like in the repo world, yeah, Geneco rules all. Yeah. Like when, when cops and stuff are running around, they have Geneco logos on. They, they don't have oh, yeah. police logos. It's Geneco. Yeah. Everything is Geneco. They run everything. Um, yeah, it's so, so bizarre. Um, some people know about, there's a weird like Jude Law movie called, yeah. called Repo Medicare. Yeah. And uh, there's some accusations there that they, they ripped off uh, Repogenic Opera. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my cat's well, getting I, away. We were talking about that, uh, actually, uh, you and I were talking about that when it first came out, mm-hmm. that, um, uh, what was it, Terrence Zidonich and came to Darren Lynn Bowsman, and they tried to pitch it to some studios, mm-hmm. and they nobody wanted to take it because of the musical side to it. They thought yeah. the idea, idea was brilliant, they didn't like the music, they didn't want to do a musical. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, Bowsman put her, is it Bowsman or Bowsman? I don't know okay. which one, but I anyway, think we had it right the first time. It's okay. fine. So, yeah, Bowsman um, put it out himself with Terrence. And uh, and so then, uh, you know, after a couple, I think it was maybe a year later, mm-hmm. then one of the studios they had pitched it to took the idea mm-hmm. and just put out well, their own. Allegedly yeah. took it, right? Because there's no proof. So right. what, what, their, what their story is, is that they wrote, or somebody, somebody had written a book yeah. with the same concept and and they were basing the movie off of that. Yeah. But the trick was that the book hadn't been published yet. Hmm. Right? It's okay. it's all a little sus. 
Uh, you know, and even even then, like the author of said book could have gone to a um, a screen or like a, a, a Repo was a stage play before it was a movie. Was it? Yeah, okay. like, a lot of musicals live on the stage first. Right. It's an easier yeah, yeah, it's an easier place to just get get your your stuff out there. Um, it's like why why go through all the hassle of shooting a friggin' movie when all that you need to do is get out like a you know the songs right? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, where was I? Um, but, uh, yeah, so who knows if they really ripped it off or not, but. Yeah, it's just, even the movie that they put out didn't do very well, so. Yeah. You know, that's what they get. But, uh, yeah, Terrence Adonich, uh, the guy who did the the music, uh, one of the guys, there's another guy, uh, Darren something, I can't remember his name, the other Darren, uh, Smith, I believe, uh, he, uh, he also wrote, co-wrote the music, but, uh, I met Terrence. Yeah. He's a nice guy. Super cool. Yeah, and he plays uh, Grave Robber mm-hmm. in the movie as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess it's sort of like it's hard to talk about Repo for those who've like never been like zero understanding of that kind of bizarre gothic world. Like, yeah. Like it's it's like, you know what, if you like steampunk, yeah. you should check out Repo. Yeah, it's definitely a flavor. Um, oh, well, uh, like it's it's got... It's got a lot of, like, if you're a Joss Whedon fan, it's worth checking out, because right. it's got uh, Giles in it. What's right, his name? Right. Anthony Head. Yeah. My favorite actor in that whole movie is Anthony Head. He's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And he's got a great, great singing voice, too, mm-hmm. which I didn't expect, because I haven't heard that before. But uh, my favorite song is Legal Assassin. Oh, which so is so good. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's such a good song that he, uh, you know, he's just belting it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then they have you know Paul Servino and Sarah Brightman, two professional oh, yeah. opera singers. Speaking of Phantom of the Opera, yeah. right? Yeah, um, Paul Servino, good. Like he's actually opera trained and never had the opportunity to use his like singing really until then. No, like okay, I don't. Well, I don't. That's the story. Like right. maybe he had some stage stuff that he's done at some point, but there's no real like. It's, yeah. It seems that yeah, he's like he's he's opera trained or whatever, but yeah. Finally, this was his opportunity to to do a movie musical. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bill Mosley's in it. Yeah, yeah. He's a hoot. Uh, for those of, Bill Mosley of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre two fame, right? Or Devil's Rejects. Yeah, so and, good. Um, Ogre from yeah, Skinny Puppy. For we those... got a story about that for later. Oh well, let's <laughs> let's tell it now. Uh, okay, okay. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, Skinny Puppy is a Canadian. Um, what do you call that? Industrial right. band, industrial punk. Yeah, yeah. They they kind of they're them. They're like the Canadian Nine Inch Nails. There's there's even some stuff between them and Nine Inch Nails. I don't want to get into. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> so uh, we had won some tickets right. to go see Ogre's solo show because Ogre is the singer of Skinny Puppy, but he also you know he does does his own solo act as well. Right. And we had gone down to the Opera House. Was it? I can't. I think that was the venue down on Queen Street. Um, I don't know. It's been a while. Yeah. And then uh, when we got to the door, we realized that like um, a few of us <coughs> may not have had our IDs with them. <laughs> and in Canada, I don't know where you're listening from, but in Canada, you usually need an ID to get into like a a venue or right. like a um, you know, if they're serving liquor, you got to be 19 plus. Yeah. You know, so whether or I not think I was underage, that's why I didn't bring it. Well, that that was another problem all yeah. altogether, right? So, like, some of us were underage, some of us didn't have IDs. Yeah. So uh, they turned us away at the door, um, and then we walked around the venue, and we kind of made like a bit of a ruckus because we were annoyed that we couldn't go see the show that we right. come across town to enjoy. And then, from us sort of like shouting and just being like, "Ah, damn this!" Like, 
And this <laughs> curse what's happening to us. Right. We see this face poke out of the tour bus that's there. Yeah. And we're just like, oh no, we've annoyed somebody. And like, this is bad. And out comes Ogre himself. Yeah. And just like, and he's, <laughs> he's a great guy. He's this short little dude, like jet black hair. He just comes up to us. He's like, what, what's the problem, guys? Yeah. And we're like, oh, we were... We wanted to get into your show, and we couldn't. Yeah. And he's like, oh, that's terrible. Well, let me see what I can do about that. Yeah. Like, right away. He was so nice. Didn't even, like, didn't even hesitate. Um, and uh, I hope I'm not getting anybody in trouble. <laughs> but they snuck us in the back door. Yeah. They're the, the two or three of us that didn't have ID, he took yeah. us in through the stage entrance. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, he posed for some pictures, signed some stuff, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was just a really serendipitous thing that he was just there and he managed to hear us. You know, we weren't screaming or anything. We were just there kind of being upset. Yeah, yeah. We were just loud enough yeah. uh, making a ruckus that, that, you know, he noticed us from inside the bus. And then we ended up right in front. Yeah. Right in front of the stage. I remember that because I was in the, my first industrial concert and I'm right next to the bloody stage. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, you, uh, I unfortunately got sick. Like, as soon as we got into the venue... Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, uh, I ended up getting a migraine, and I had to leave early, so I didn't uh, actually enjoy the show the way you did. So I'm glad that you got to, like, get the whole experience and get the autographs and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I went home and I threw up. Oh, uh, no. Shit. Yeah. Okay, um, well, that's enough about Repo, because uh, for those who don't know anything about it, that's... Yeah. <laughs> oh, I just wanted to mention, too, that oh, yeah. uh, Paris Hilton was in it. Oh, I yes. Yeah, I remember we were both talking with them, like, oh, Paris Hilton. <laughs> I, you know what's funny? I complained on the way in, yeah. but on the way out, I loved it. Yeah, well, she was playing a snotty brat, yeah. so there you go. Yeah, she was, <laughs> acting and, not required. Acting not required, but like, and she she's she's fine on camera. Yeah. Like, she knows how to make the camera work for her. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. I Like, I think it was fine. It was just it was one of those things, like... It was back in the day when you just developed, like, unnecessary hate right. for celebrities. You know, you're like, ooh, I don't like this person because they're a little, like, you know, shallow. It's like, well, all right. I, you know, there's a reason there, I guess. But yeah, almost just sounds like envy or jealousy. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah, she's so rich with all of her It's like, yeah, wouldn't you want to just be rich? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I uh, The only thing I knew her from is that my sister used to watch uh, The Simple Life. Mm-hmm. And so that was the only exposure I had. And so I, even in that, she's playing a character as well, where she's playing up, you know, that side of her. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, yeah, no, it was, she fit in super well. And it's, uh, her as, you know, one of the, the three children that uh, Roddy Largo is trying to leave his company to. And he's like, no, I, I don't want to leave it to you. You're, you know, a mass murdering, like, freak. And I don't yeah. want to leave it to you because you're, you know, constantly getting new surgeries, talking about Paris Hilton's character. And, and then the uh, sex pest. Probably, yeah, yeah, he's stealing people's faces. God. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, just uh, just touch on my favorites real quick before we get to the uh, the grand finale. Right. Um. Uh, what is it? Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. That is a lot of fun. Um. Uh, like what a lot of people don't realize about Nightmare Before Christmas is that even though it's called Tim Burton's Nightmare right. Before Christmas, it's not directed by him. He produced it, I guess. Yeah, he's a producer, but right. like he wrote the original poem. Right. That the whole thing's based on. Right. He drew all the illustrations for the original poem. Yeah. He designed 
like almost all of the movie. Yeah, the whole thing takes place in his world. You know, mm-hmm. you have the the book, The Art of Tim Burton, and it's all about his drawings that he did as a kid and stuff. Because yeah. you know, he wasn't uh, super social, so yeah. he, he spent a lot of time making up his own world and drawing his own stuff and designing. And this was kind of his baby project that he'd been working on since he was mm-hmm. little, little. Yeah, I can't remember which movie he was doing at the time that he couldn't do. Yeah, like he was doing like Batman Returns yeah. or something after that. Um, God, I I can't remember the timeline now, but uh, and I remember it was it was solid. Um, there's a few things that that are like great about the film, uh, like Danny Elfman singing. Oh uh, yeah, he's so good. Yeah, Danny Elfman does uh, Jack. Really? Yeah, you know uh, Danny Elfman yeah, from yeah. Uh, not just the compo- not just as a composer, but he's right. also uh, Oingo Boingo. Oh, okay. You remember Oingo Boingo? You should check out Oingo Boingo. You, I think that you would really like them as a band. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like Dead Man's Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, even You even catch little things like um, Tender Lumplings. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's that lyric in the uh, in the song, Tender Lumplings Everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Life's no fun without a good scare. Tender Lumplings is a song title from Oingo Boingo. Oh, okay, okay. You know what I mean? Like, like yeah, Danny Elfman just throwing in crazy yeah. stuff. Um, yeah, Danny Elfman's always been classic. You know, dun 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 dun. Yeah, Beetlejuice. The Beetlejuice theme. Yeah, uh, yeah like pretty much. He, I don't know how he can incorporate this like evil polka into everything. <laughs> Men in Black too. Uh, did he do Men in the, Black? The first one, yeah. He did. Okay. Uh, Men in Black as well, not Men in Black too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. See, that sounds. Yeah. Like, uh, he sneaks in there everywhere. Um, although, did you did you hear that pretentious thing that he said about uh, when they were talking about the Justice League? No, because they got a they, like they hired Denny Elfman as the replacement composer, right? And he was like, "Oh yeah," and then you know I snuck in like the Superman theme, like from mm. the, from the Donner movie, and uh, and then the Batman theme, like yeah. when Batman's around, and they're like, "Oh, which Batman theme?" And Denny Elfman does this like. Uh, the Batman theme, <laughs> implying like the one that he wrote for yeah. Tim Burton's Batman, right. but it, it's like, uh, you no, know, I, I hear you, but there's also yeah. like there's the famous one from the 1960s that right. the surf rock version, like when you say Batman theme, there are a few different ideas that come to your mind, yeah, not just Danny Elfman's, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he just really nailed, you know, what Tim Burton wanted, I guess, because he did so many of his movies. Well, they, yeah, they worked together so much. Actually, it's interesting, interesting that you bring that up. Um, this was the turning point for their friendship for a while. Because, mm. like, yeah, they, they obviously got along super well, um, uh, Danny and Tim. But Dan, uh, Danny Elfman was not only going to... He did all the singing for Jack. Right. And he was supposed to do the voice. Right. And he recorded, like, all the dialogue. But the producers didn't like it, oh. so they got some. They got Chris Sarandon, Susan Sarandon's brother, to come in and read all the parts. If you don't know who he is, he's like the uh, the cop from Child's Play, okay. or, or Prince Humperdinck. Oh, from oh yeah, Bride. okay. So that's Jack's speaking voice. Yeah. So there's two different guys doing Jack, and Danny was so felt so slighted by this that he didn't want to work with Tim for a while, and uh. um, that's why Ed Wood. Right. Then the like the Tim Burton film after that doesn't yeah. there's no there's no Danny Elfman on it. Right. Mm-hmm. I just uh had a thought, it's like what if um what if Tim Burton had used Johnny Depp as Batman? <laughs> if he was you know, back with them that back then. Oh, do you do you know do you, oh, you remember that documentary we watched, or The Death of Superman Lives, or whatever? Yeah, yeah, the Kevin Smith, uh Nicolas Cage. Yeah, Tim Burton yeah. was gonna use a Nicolas Cage 
Um, was he? Superman. Oh, boy. Superman, that is. Yeah. Good thing he went, uh, you want to get nuts? <laughs> Let's, Let's get, get nuts. nuts. <laughs> he used Beetlejuice as his Batman. Yeah. Michael Keaton, the man. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then uh, my last favorite, uh, Cabaret. Do you know anything about Cabaret? Very loose, very yeah. loosely, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've seen it maybe a handful of times. Yeah, it's cool. It's set in like, uh, what is it? Just like Germany just before the war. Okay. It's about a cabaret and all the like the goings-ons of the characters there. Right. It's apparently very different from the book. Really? Yeah, yeah, because there's a book that it's based mm-hmm. on. Um, which seems to be a habit or like a trend with these plays yeah. as well. There's a book, like the Phantom of the Opera is a book, and then they make a play, yeah. musical or something, and then it turns into a movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, I like... Personally, like, my favorite version is of Cabaret is the movie version. Yeah. But I have seen a stage version, and it was good. Mm. They do change around, like, a few things. But uh, I like the movie. I think it's solid. Uh, Joel Grey, uh, I think it plays the um, the MC. Okay. And the movie won an Academy Award, I believe, for Best Picture or something. Right. Uh, it won a few Academy Awards in other departments, I'm pretty sure. I can't remember completely. Yeah, whenever anybody talks about Liza Minnelli, that's number one, right? It is, yeah. Um, that's like, that's her like role. Yeah. But something I gotta bring up that, is that sad, makes me sad about it is that it doesn't, I feel like it doesn't stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of these musicals still live on in the, in the, on stage. Right. Like, but you even talked about Guys and Dolls and, and yeah. old ones like that. They, they still make those kinds of productions and they still do cabaret on stage. Yeah. But... In in pop culture, um, not in pop culture, but like it just in the in the in the in everyone's like what's on everyone's mind nowadays. Like, uh, I, I feel like cabaret didn't stand the test of time right. as a movie. You know, like people aren't talking about it anymore. It's it's might might be on like AFI's like top list somewhere out there, but it's yeah. not it's not it's not the same thing as if you bring up like Rocky Horror conversationally. Right. You bring up Rocky Horror, and people will be like, oh yeah, I know Tim Curry. You know, yeah. I know all that stuff. Yeah, like you were saying before, like, some things don't survive the generational gap, you know? Like, when I was mentioning that I was going to do this episode, my dad was saying, uh, he's like, yeah, why aren't you doing Guys and Dolls? Like, Brando and Sinatra, come on. I'm like, yeah, it's not going to (laughs) land. You know, it doesn't land with me. I don't, it's just, it's not going to resonate. Yeah, that's funny, because my my dad, too, he brings, like, my dad was like, oh, yeah, Guys and Dolls, and it's like, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It just doesn't, doesn't have the same, uh, same oomph. Yeah. So, yeah. so that, like we've been we've been dancing around this all all day. <laughs> Rocky Horror Picture Show, yeah, one of the greatest movies, if not one of the greatest, like musicals of all time. Uh, and I I did a quick like I did some quick uh, reading about it. Yeah, just we talk we started uh, talking about it. I was I was so surprised that like how it started. Um, the movie version wasn't even that popular when right. it came out at the beginning. Yeah, and a lot of the cast members, even to this day, don't like to say that they did it. Yeah, right. Like, it's like I don't know what it is about it. Is it is it the like the homo uh, sexual con like the stuff in the movie right. transvestite stuff? Yeah, transsexual. There's a lot of covers a lot of stuff. Yeah, and I'm like, is that what scares people about it? Because I I know that like in Hollywood. People are afraid of like um, being open about their sexuality. They right. worry that that is going to have an impact on their careers and how people perceive them. Right. And only certain actors are like brave enough to breach that. You know, like Neil Patrick Harris. Right. He mm-hmm. he went out there and he's like, you know what? I'm I'm going to admit that I'm I'm gay and that's that yeah. and I live my life that it took way. Took a while, but yeah, yeah. Not everyone can be you know like 
some some actors are, you know. Yeah, it's a huge step, right? Because mm-hmm. you're, you're gonna, uh, it's a, you, there's just gonna be some fan base that's not gonna like it. Yeah, like know? it's gonna change things. Yeah, like yeah. I think I think we know some people too who like, who kind of it's like it's hard to watch them grapple with like, it's like li- liking liking actors that are that are gay when you're a homophobe. Yeah, is hard, I guess. Because he was playing such a guy's guy too before, where he would play, uh, you know, in Harold and Kumar go to White Castle and stuff. Mm. He's just this guy that does drugs all the time and like, you know, gets with like three girls, super bro, minimum at all times. You yeah. Know? So it's there's a lot of guys that uh, would see him only in that light and would imagine him as the something to look up to, mm-hmm. and then to find out he's been gay this whole time, it's like, oh no, my world's been shattered. You know. Yeah. When they're that fragile. Yeah, it's it's like. It's okay, man. Like, you can... I don't know. It's okay to look up to gay people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, I gotta say, like, this Rocky Horror Picture Show, for me, was cool because it was, like, a big sexual awakening kind of movie. Like, I watched it when I was going through puberty. Mm. So this was one of, like, the first moments where I realized, oh, it's it's okay to be, like, sexually different than other people. There is, like, a place for you. Right. You know, you don't... You don't have to, like you know, live in the closet per se. Yeah, I was, I was a lot younger. Mm-hmm. There's what, a, a four, eight, four year. Difference yeah, difference, yes, yeah. So I was, I was pretty little when I, my parents first showed it to me. And I remember, uh, if you've ever seen the cover of Rocky Horror, it just has this big mouth on it. Yeah. And I used to say, mommy, mommy, put on the lips. Yeah. Put on the lips. Or as the poster says, a different set of jaws. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but I, I was way too young to understand anything that was going on in that movie yeah. or like that, why the guy was wearing those clothes. I didn't know that those were mm. female clothes to begin with. Yeah. So it, it was kind of interesting that that my development went in that way that I didn't see it as a weird thing until I started getting older and then society was like, oh, you know, that's, that's weird. That's different. Yeah. You should like judge that. And I was like, okay. Yeah. You know? And then you try to, you adopt that to fit in and then you kind of. Once you get old enough to have your own opinion, then you yeah. start fighting it again. Yeah, I'm going back to the original. I, yeah, that's. I, I was. I was just gonna say it's like it's. I think it's it's like a, almost progressive, like in a way to like yeah to show somebody younger like oh this is this is like what life is like out there. Yeah. And yeah, you're you're not when your brain isn't sexual, you don't see those things. Yeah. Not until like puberty. You know? That's that's the thing. I saw it then in that yeah. moment, so I was like I was fine. I was getting it all in context. I was like. Oh, right. I see, but that's cool. Yeah, no, and I'm, I, I hope that people can like, I don't know, learn and, and enjoy. I think what's interesting from this movie is like, the villain mm. is also like the hero, right? You right. know, and it's all his journey. Like if you like the whole thing was Frankfurter is just this crazy pervert, and he just wants to have some fun to the point where he jeopardizes his own mission. Like, yeah. what were the transsexual Transylvanians up to? I guess, <laughs> were they trying to conquer Earth? And then Frank got here and it was just like, you know what's better than conquering yeah. Earth? Having sex parties all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and with Riff Raff coming to him at the end, he says your lifestyle's too extreme. Exactly, yeah. Like, Yeah, we're going back to uh, Transylvania. Yeah, I, I, was, I, I always feel like maybe this is... I always felt like maybe this is like a little bit of Richard O'Brien's story, right? A little bit, right. you know this 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 guy who I don't know his deal, mm. but I I feel like Richard O'Brien just like with his like how comfortable he is like writing about this stuff. Right. He probably either like he's in the LGBT community. Okay. Um. Maybe he cross dresses himself. Mm. I don't want to make any assumptions. Yeah. Um. But 
maybe that's his story, you know, of this guy who felt so different in the world that you feel like an alien. Right, right. And you're just trying to, like, show people, you know, your your way. And sometimes you find other, like, like-minded individuals and they're just, they're already on board. Yeah. Like the other, uh, like, groupies and uh, finding, like, Riff Raff and Magenta, um, Eddie, uh, Nell, or, or yeah. like, uh, Columbia, yeah, all that crew. But then you know you meet people like Brad and Janet, and then you like you open their eyes up. You're like, hey, right. you, you like their story is like a couple of squares yeah. who meet Frank, and then their whole their minds are just blown by everything yeah. they see. They're like, oh, I don't have to be a square. But they're but they're also left like shaken at the end of the movie. Mm. Like their whole world is blown open. So they're like, what is up? What is down? Right. I think it it might have also been to trying to open up. Uh, uh, the general public to uh, uh, horror movies, yeah, and science fiction movies. Well, that was an, another thing I found interesting. Um, it's the the background and the influence, right? You're right. Is like there there is this the whole the whole song uh, science fiction double feature yeah. are references to old B movies and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, um, ones that like off the top of my head like King Kong, right? Um, Triffids. I'm familiar with Day of the Triffids. I right. I love that old movie. Uh, what else was there? Oh, uh, we brought up, um, what is it, Dana Andrews. Yeah. Uh, I don't remember the reference in the song to Dana Andrews, but we I, I know that they're from Zero Hour, right. which is a film uh, that inspired Airplane. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But so just Dana Andrews was a, yeah, um, a B-movie actor. Right. Any other references from the uh, song? Michael movie? Rennie was in the... the yeah. Uh, oh, in, um, Invisible Man. Or... Yeah, Claude Rains, yeah. Yeah, so the, the whole song... Yeah, R- RKO Productions and yeah, stuff like that. That's, yeah, RKO, yeah. That was a little big They literally climb the tower of RKO yeah. and then ride it into the pool. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's very... Uh, that I think we that we basically nailed it, is that was the point of it, was to open people's minds to uh, the transse- t- transsexual side mm-hmm. and the and just, you know, being open to that kind of sexuality and then also the horror movie and the, the sci-fi... But I, I think they did it really well, too, because if you're trying to introduce people to sexuality that they're not familiar with, and you're putting it in a horror movie or a sci-fi movie, that yeah. could be construed very well off. Yeah, I was just recently reading about, like, uh, Sons of the Lambs, and there right. is, like, Hollywood does have this problem right. with making uh, villains gay. Yeah. Or at least, like, seemingly, like, effeminate, mm. you know? Just, just like... um. Buffalo Bill from Sounds of the Lambs and uh, Hannibal Lecter are both like ha- have their own things yeah. um, going on, uh, you know stuff like that. And like uh, I don't know, it's sort of tough um, to to go up with that. Like at least with Rocky Horror, I feel like by the end of the movie though, you end up sympathizing with yeah. Frank. Yeah, you know, like it starts with he's like a bit of a sociopathic yeah, maniac. <laughs> you know, yeah, like and he does murder Eddie. Yeah. Like, he is a murderer, but by the end of it, you sort of see the fragile, vulnerable side of him. Yeah. You know, which you don't always get to see that, and I think with other, like, uh, villains, uh, like, gay villains, sort of. Yeah, like, the big thing at the end when he said, uh, when he was looking at Faye Ray and he, her satin-draped frame and he mm-hmm. wanted to be dressed just the same. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite lines in the, yeah. in the song. And uh, that just really nails his kind of personalities, that he's really struggling with that, and he's, you know... Uh, his planet is literally called transsexual. Yeah. So I think that was fine from where they were coming from. But even the people he traveled with, Magenta and Riff Raff, said his lifestyle is too extreme. Yeah. So maybe he hadn't fully explored it until he came to Earth, and then he was like, oh, I'm just going to fuck everything. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's that's true because they are, they're known as transsexual Transylvanians. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's just like he he pushed it. Like he wanted to. Frank really wanted to push his sexuality to the limits, right? To the point where he was like, "I want a sex, um, I sex slave, you up, babe." <laughs> no, but like, remember, he was like, "I'm gonna yeah. make, I'm gonna make the, the epitome of sexuality and make him my sex slave," and right. it backfires on him. He builds him literally. He, yeah, like out of, out of, yeah, he's like, "I'm gonna make a man, and he's gonna be mine, and I'm gonna yeah. own him, and I'm gonna do with him what I want." And yeah. then, of course, like, but in a in a story like that, like, what happens is that your creation. Like turns against you because yeah. like you know life isn't to be, you know. So, like, I think that's another thing that's extreme about it is like right. that kind of like that ownership. You can't own people, well, especially when a young Susan Sarandon's around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if anything is going to pull it, pull him away. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So. Yeah. Um, I don't know what else we could say about it, but uh, yeah, it's it's always going to be number one for me. It's it's a classic, mm. and it's it's called classic and. Uh, I still haven't gone to a theater though to see it. Oh yeah, to do the whole, you know. Um, I'm sure everybody. So you're is... still, you're still, as they call it, a virgin for yeah. the the Rocky Horror like experience. Right. Yeah, that's what they call them. So if you go to a show, yeah. and the staff come up to you and they ask, "Are you a virgin?" That's what they mean. <laughs> like, it's going to be so confusing. This happened to me and my buddy Steve. Yeah, we went up in Sudbury and we we're in line, and they come up to us and they're like, "Are you virgins?" And we're like in high school, so we just kind of blush. You're right. <laughs> you know, and like, and they're like, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? What are, what are you talking about? And they were like, they're like, have you seen the show? And I was like, oh my god, <laughs> like, that almost got really weird. <laughs> yeah, it was like I've seen the show, and then I was like, my buddy hasn't. And they were like, oh, like your buddy like hasn't seen the show, and they made a note of that. And I was right. like, okay, so that way when when the show was on. The guy who played Eddie turns out knew us from high school. Oh yeah, came out and and like more or less like not not gave my buddy a lap dance, but like danced in his lap. Yeah, yeah, danced in Steve's lap and stuff, and it was so funny. Oh man, yeah, yeah. So there's you know at the wedding you throw up confetti and stuff. You throw mm. toilet paper at one point. Uh, there's a, there's a line where they say forks or something, right? And everybody throws a plastic fork up in the air or something like that. Yeah, I don't know the uh, yeah. I can't remember all the callbacks. Um, what I thought was interesting is, like, apparently, you know the the concept of shadow casting? Right. It was invented pretty, like, quickly, mm. apparently. Like, the movie, um, the movie didn't do great uh, when it came out at, at first, but then became one of these, like, midnight movies. Right. Because there was, like, a cult following that, that developed. Right. Just kind of like the repo thing. And then it was, you know, it's like, it starts with a cult following and it, it built up steam, but that those people who started going to the midnight showings started to dress up. Yeah. Started to lip sync. And yeah. then some people would just start to like perform it like off offside. Like you so you see the screen, but you could look down and see a group of people performing the scene as though they were in the stage play. Yeah. Oh. You did that for Repo, didn't you? That's but right. Shout out to the Shadowcats. That's right, yeah. <laughs> for anybody who's into Repo and uh, missed out on the Shadowcasting, look, see if there's any stuff on the internet anymore for the Repo Shadowcats. It was such a great time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think now the sh- some of the Shadowcats have turned into Peep Show Burlesque? No, I think they changed their name. I don't know. But, uh, you know, they've moved on. Yeah. It's amazing, like, all of us, like, have taken, like, our abilities uh, to perform. Right. And some people have become burlesque dancers. Okay. While, like, I've taken my performing and, uh, like, I I started a band. Right. You know, did that kind of thing. Right, right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, uh, it's not something I have the guts to do, but it's, uh, it's always a really cool way to, to kind of 
personalize your favorite, uh, you know, personalize the experience for your favorite movie and make it public. And mm-hmm. yeah, very very interesting. Oh, it's I think it's it's fun. Like that's the thing about Rocky Horror. I think is not it's not just going and enjoying it by yourself. Yeah. But finding out there's a community. Yeah. And and uh, and enjoying it with other people. Yeah. Like you and me, uh, last time that you were over. Uh, we recorded um, science fiction double feature, right, right. you know, and that was fun to do together. You know, yeah. like just having fun doing the music. Uh, we did. Uh, what else did we did? We do any other? Uh, we did Hopatuti. Hopatuti, uh, uh, and we did There's a Light and Eddie. Okay, those are the four that we know right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we did some of those for Christmas, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. For those of you uh, unfamiliar, at uh, Christmas time, our families. Uh, all kind of uh we perform several different things yeah and so uh Giannis and i'll usually perform a song or two together on the guitar and vocals i love how you say like for those listening who don't know like it's like yes well, i mean I, I know what you mean it's like for those for those listeners who aren't mom <laughs> <laughs> thanks the, mom for the listening four family members that are listening <laughs> yeah all right we hear you uncle andy yeah <laughs> okay well um, I think that's it for uh, all that I want to say on the topic of musicals. Right. Um, uh, you know what? There's probably some that I've like forgotten about over the to- over yeah, the years. Just, just a, a short shout out to Sweeney Todd. I oh guess. yeah, you had it on your list, and um, yeah, it's a Tim Burton film. Yeah, I didn't like it, um, but you like it. Yeah, yeah. I, um, you know, the story is interesting, but there's the odd song that I really like. Sasha Baron Cohen is fantastic. He is amazing. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, Helena Bonham Carter's good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I just, uh, I, I like Johnny Depp singing too, because mm-hmm. he, uh, he did, had a musical background a little bit too, didn't he? No, uh, no, he's actually, um, it took him a while, I heard, oh, to get, okay. to get up there kind of musically. You must be confusing him with someone else. But, yeah, uh, it's like you just almost think that he just seems like a cool guy who'd be into like doing musicals and singing. Yeah, but like he never even did his own singing for like Crybaby, right? For like those one or two songs I think right. on it. I don't know, but um, and I've also heard from people that he doesn't sing properly. No, I've heard that he sings too hard on consonants when you should be like singing on vowels, kind of. Right, right. I, but I'm I'm regurgitating what someone else told me, right. not my own opinion. Right. Okay. Um, but. I don't know. I'm also not familiar with the Sweeney Todd play or anything, yeah. so I don't know if there's anything like... I just didn't... Oh, you know what? <laughs> I'm going to admit something, and this might kill me with uh, all of the musical fans out there. Yeah. And, uh, I believe I believe that Sweeney Todd is a Stephen Sondheim musical, mm. and I'm just not a fan of his work in general. So... Crucify me, if you will. <laughs> it's like He's a big name, right? right. Like, he's just like one of those other names like... Uh, uh, you know, well, what's Phantom Guy, you know? Uh, Weber. Weber, yeah. Andrew yeah. Lloyd Weber, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, uh, but I think that's all we have to say on musicals today. All right. This has been uh, the Shark Bite Podcast. Yeah. Dan Verino, it was good having you on. Yeah, man, I'll see you next time.